Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hello, you guys. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. I'm so excited to hang out with you today. Today's podcast is really geared more towards our TTC or trying to conceive community out there because I'm sitting down with Ariel Spiegel, who is the co-founder of CoFertility, which is a platform that aims to uncomplicate the fertility journey by answering every fertility question with its content, resources, and tools. Now, Ariel not only has poured her heart and soul into making co-fertility a safe space for anyone on the fertility journey, but she has also walked her own path with fertility, and she shares some about that experience with us in today's show. I'm honored to call her a friend, and I'm even more excited for today's chat. So, Ariel, let's dive right in. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yes, I'm excited to chat too. And I think this is a topic that um, I don't cover enough and I should cover it more. Um, So I'm really, really excited to dive into this and specifically, um, you know, how the pandemic has kind of impacted fertility and, and, you know, people's fertility journeys. Um, Okay, so I guess let's start off with the very basics co-fertility what is co-fertility what made you start co-fertility what's your mission there who is co-fertility designed for so co-fertility is a platform that um, we say we aim to answer every fertility question out there and uncomplicate the fertility journey with our content and our resources and our tools um, and basically um you know, not only regarding infertility, but just fertility in general, just hoping to make that information easier to find and easier to understand. Sure, because it's so hard to find, I, I guess, really anything, right? The information out there when when people are going through fertility treatments is far and few between. And then I think there's also this layer of how do we know if it's true? There's a lot of, um, you know, not to not to use hip terms, but there's a lot of like fake news out there when it comes Mm -hmm. to fertility. So as someone who's navigating that, how would you 
you know, opposed to co-fertility, how would someone know a trustworthy service or a trustworthy, you know, place and, and source to get that information about their fertility information? It's hard. And that's like a big reason why I founded co-fertility is because you're right. There is so much misinformation, not even, I mean, there's misinformation out there, but also there's just so much information out there. It's like information overload. And you're exactly right in that, you know, it's, it's a question of what do you trust? There's a lot of fake news out there. What do you trust um, as fact or as applicable to your situation? What's just purely anecdotal? What is like an old wives tale versus something you should actually try? Um, so it, it, we live in an age where not even just only related to fertility, but just for everything, it's just information overload. And I, as somebody who was going through fertility challenges and as someone who was struggling to get pregnant, um, anytime I would ever search for information online that could help me um, in my own fertility journey, I just felt like the experience was so bad um, and it was so spread out and, you know, bits and pieces of information were on all sorts of different sites, whether it was forums that looked like they were a million years old and you don't know what to trust and, you know, or blogs that were super anecdotal or clinic websites that were just really like sterile and had zero brand personality whatsoever and just wanting to get you through the door, quite frankly. Um, so because of that, and because of my background, just in um, branding and digital marketing, I just felt like um, the one in eight American couples facing fertility challenges deserved better. Um, so that was kind of why co-fertility was born. Um, and, you know, we say we aim to answer every fertility question out there. Um, we have a medical advisory board that reviews all of our content. So you can, you really can trust it. Um, but not only is it trustworthy, but we, we just keep it real. And like, we speak in terms that like layman's terms that are easy to understand and digestible. Um, because when you're facing fertility challenges, or if you're trying to get pregnant, um, it's just kind of hard to cut through all the clutter and the crap out there. Totally. And you're already really emotional, um, you know, and in this vulnerable state. And so it makes that even harder, right? Anytime you add emotions on top of things, it's going to be harder. Um, and, you know, listeners, I can totally vouch that Arielle is up to date on, on current things. She and I run in similar circles. And so we run into each other at these fertility conferences and um, different events. And so for me, that's always a good kind of golden star of, um, you know, a source is that they are continuously updating things. You want to make sure that when it comes to fertility, um, you're staying really up to date. Speaking of up to date, most relevant thing that's happening in our life right now is coronavirus. So how has this, and I can't even begin to think of all the ways, but how has this impacted fertility, you know, for people who might not have been on a fertility journey previously, but then also the people who were in the middle of treatments, what in the world has happened with that? And where do we see these things going? Well, it was really hard. Um, at first, when, I mean, like it was for everyone and everything, right? Um, but it was really hard at first because um, there was so much unknown around, um, you know, not only about the spread of COVID, just in general, like where was it safe to go, where was it not, uh, but also how it could impact pregnancy and um, and fertility. So, um, you know, I really thank goodness I actually I, I was. I was pregnant at the time. I was not undergoing fertility treatment myself, but um, I really felt for people who were because 
um, what wound up happening was a lot of clinics, um, like many doctor's offices, a lot of clinics um, shut down for temporarily for um, a period of time. And, you know, either they shut down or they were like, really only prioritizing the most urgent um, cases or most urgent procedures, or, you know, like if somebody had cancer and they were going to undergo chemo and they needed to do fertility preservation before that or something like that. Um, or if a patient um, was significantly older um, and, you know, their time was more limited than, than potentially a younger, a younger case, for example, um, they, you know, there was kind of like a weird gray area that felt kind of subjective in terms of like who was getting treatment and who wasn't. And, um, you know, on the one hand, like it sucked because, um, with fertility time is of the essence and it's like the longer you wait, the worse your, your prognosis could be. But on the flip side, like just because you're young doesn't mean that you're not facing fertility challenges and you're, doesn't mean that you're not like urgently, anxiously waiting to start a cycle or like proceed with treatment. I mean, I was 28 when I first started trying to get pregnant. I'm 32 now. Um, and you know, so like, and I just had my baby a couple months ago. So like, you know, just because somebody's on the younger side doesn't mean that they're not, that they're not going to be super bummed about delaying treatment. Um, so that sucked. Um, so, you know, there was that, unfortunately, like clinics have become awesome at just like staying safe. And, and it seems like everything is kind of business as usual now. Um, thank goodness. But for a while, it really did suck for people who were undergoing treatment because a lot of people had to pause their cycles. You know, obviously if somebody had COVID, like they weren't allowed to come in. So, um, and that was for the safety of the patients and also the doctors too. Um, so that was, that was really hard. And then, you know, then there were a lot of people who like wanted to freeze their eggs or freeze embryos or do IVF because they were nervous about getting pregnant, like during, during the pandemic, you know, it was, there's, there was, and it still is a lot of unknown about how, um, how COVID could affect pregnancy or beyond. So, um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but it was just a really hard time. And, and as, as somebody who was pregnant at that time, um, I can say it was very scary. Um, and you know, we were, we're super cautious about everything anyway, but, um, being pregnant on top of everything else just added a whole nother layer of like anxiety. Um, and it also sucked, like I, just for, for other reasons, like we had to cancel our baby moon that like, you know, after trying for so long to get pregnant, like I was looking forward to doing all the things and I didn't start showing until the later end. So like, I couldn't really like go out and about and like flaunt my bump, like, you know, things, things like that, that were on a more like emotional level I was looking forward to. I couldn't, um, but you know, at the end of the day, I was, I had a healthy pregnancy and have a healthy baby and that's what matters. Um, but it was hard. Yeah, that, you know, as if, as, as if birth isn't already like unknown enough, we now have this like unknown of the pandemic and not just any pandemic, but a virus that we've never seen before. And there's unknown in that. So it's just so many layers of unknown. That's really, really hard. So what do we know about the future with all of this uncertainty and even the uncertainty of potentially a second wave you know, and, and by the time this airs, we might already be in this second wave. What what do we know about the, you know, fertility treatments when it comes to all of this uncertainty? Are we just kind of waiting? Um, 
I mean, there have been some, it is so new that like research is super limited. Um, there has been some research that's come out about the impact of COVID on male fertility, for example, um, which, you know, is scary that it could impact like sperm quality down the line. Um, you know, there hasn't, there's been kind of like mixed research around, you know, passing anything along to a baby. It's just too soon to tell. And honestly, like with, with, with at Co, we're very, we try to be extremely cautious of like what we choose to say, because um, we want to make sure anything that we do say is like backed up by research and is legit. Um, and it kind of feels too soon to tell. Um, what I can say from like a fertility treatment standpoint is it doesn't seem like there's any reason to wait. Um, and it, and it, and it doesn't seem like, um, you know, it, I have been very impressed with, um, not only like how my OB how their office was handling all COVID precautions, but like, it seems, it seems like most, um, fertility clinics are kind of going above and beyond to make sure that people are still getting the treatment that they need, um, safely, whether that's, you know, doing telemedicine when possible, you know, social, social distancing guidelines in the office. Um, I'm, I'm sure they've been staggering appointments more. Um, so I think people should feel safe in, at a fertility clinic, um, you know, despite the pandemic. Sure. That's really helpful, um, you know, and obviously encouraging to hear because I think a lot of people, I, so I know I've spoke to a lot of people who might have just started their treatments or were just about to start their treatments. And so many of those people chose to pause those treatments. So it's really nice to hear um, that if you choose to move forward, that you are safe to do so and that these clinics are doing a really good job in, in making sure that everyone is safe. I mean, we expected nothing less, but I guess in a pandemic, you, you never really know. Um, okay. So this pandemic has changed so much for so many people. What has it done for partner support? Are partners still being able to come in with you? How has this changed kind of the fertility treatment from their perspective? And what kind of tips do you have for partners in navigating, I guess, IVF in general, but now with the level of the pandemic? Yeah. Um, well, I will say partners are not partners have not been allowed like just to be there for like emotional support um for like for example you know like my husband wasn't able to be there for um like all of the ultrasounds later on in my pregnancy which was which sucked because like you know we were we facetimed um but that that was annoying um but not not terrible just more from like an emotional support standpoint um that was, you know, in my OBGYN's office, um, to be totally honest, I'm not, I, I'm not totally certain how fertility clinics are handling it because in many cases, um, you know, the, the infertility issues are faced by, you know, not one, but both people, um, in, that are part of a couple. Um, so, you know, they're, they're not really a partner as much as they're like a patient also. Um, but I imagine like when possible, they're probably just trying to stagger appointments and having only one person come in at a time when they need to. So like, for example, if like, if someone's husband needs to give like a sperm sample, like he and only he is allowed to go to the office that day, or if so, you know, someone's coming in for a retrieval, like, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that they have guidelines in place. Um, and my guess is there's a lot of telemedicine going on. 
um, not my guess, I know that there's a lot of telemedicine going on um, when possible, but for things like blood work or like an ultrasound or things like that, that, you know, where you need to physically be there, you still would have to physically go and do that. You just maybe wouldn't be able to do that with your partner. So since that experience between the partners, you know, with them both kind of being there has a little bit been removed from us, what are some other things that people can do to make sure that you're staying close with your partner, um, you know, throughout this, even though there's been some accommodations having to be made because of the virus? I would ask, um, I would ask your, your OBGYN's office or your fertility clinic's office or wherever you are, like if they'll allow you to FaceTime or dial in your, your partner, um, I, I did that for everything because my husband wanted to be really involved, which was great. Um, and they were super accommodating and super understanding of the fact that it was just because of our past experience with infertility and pregnancy loss. And like, my God, I can't even imagine, you know, being, being there by myself and having, getting bad news. So, um, it was really important to me to make sure that my husband was able to kind of be, be there, um, via FaceTime at least. So they were, they were accommodating of that. I've, I have heard some people talking about how their clinics are not super supportive of FaceTime um, in, in the, you know, in the ultrasound room, for example, which I kind of think like, we all just need to be flexible and like go with the flow and not cause any more unnecessary stress to um, a pregnancy. So um, my advice to that person who was telling me that about her clinic was like, just explain the situation to them and tell them that it makes you feel so much more comfortable and they should allow it. Um, so I think that, I think that making sure that, um, your partner can kind of be part of any appointments virtually is, is important and a nice like layer of support. I think also like just in terms of how they can support you, like making sure that you still feel special kind of during that time was like important for me. Um, like I said, i I, we had to cancel our baby moon, um, which I was like really, really, really upset about at the time. Um, it was like the first week of March, like right when things were turning with COVID and we made the decision or my husband made the decision to cancel. And I was like really upset. Um, and I just, I, I, and like, I just made it clear to him that like, listen, like I waited so long for this pregnancy. I, I still want to have these moments to like celebrate this pregnancy and feel like a normal quote unquote pregnant person. Um, so like, what else can we do locally to kind of like celebrate and just making sure that he knew that like, I call me high maintenance, but I just needed that. Like I needed to feel special and celebrate the pregnancy in a way that I otherwise would if we weren't in a pandemic. Um, so just like over communicating, I think is important too, and not expecting your partner to be a mind reader because we all need something different. Totally. You know, one of the biggest things I hear when I talk to pregnant people who have had their pregnancy throughout coronavirus is they feel robbed of things like that. Exactly. You know, and it makes me feel sad because I look forward to the same things when I'm pregnant and I could imagine what it would feel like to have to cancel that kind of stuff. So it does, it makes my heart kind of break or for you and, and everyone who's experiencing that. Um, yeah, I don't think that's high maintenance at all. I actually think I would probably be super upset too. I mean, I'm almost crying now, even thinking about losing a baby moon, right? Um, this, this pandemic has been super, super, super hard. Um, okay. So changing gears slightly, but staying in the realm of support, let's say you're not that person's partner and you're just their friend. 
what can friends do right now to make things better? It's hard to hang out. It's hard to like take that person out to dinner because, you know, you know, you want to help make them feel better or just spend time with them. What some people aren't even ordering out from restaurants. So it's hard to even provide them with a meal. They may not feel comfortable with you cooking. How can people support their friends who are going through IVF in this really weird time? So this is actually really topical because I actually just had a conversation with a friend uh, this morning who not going through IVF, but um, very pregnant and like wanted to have a baby shower. And even though it was literally just going to be her and her mom and her sister and myself and my mother-in-law, I had to basically think about it and, and eventually ultimately tell her that like, we didn't feel comfortable going. And it sucks. Like it really sucks to not be able to like support her in that way. And she, she completely understood and like knew that that was probably what was going to happen anyway, but like, it just sucks. And like, you know, I, I, and it was because, you know, it's getting colder. We're going to be having to do more things inside. And, um, I think it's just like taking advantage of like whatever opportunities we can to make someone feel special, whether that's doing something virtually, I've seen some like really cute virtual showers. Um, I told my friend, like I wanted to do, you know, I still wanted to do something for her that was special. So like, maybe we could do something outside, like while it's still nice out at least. Um, just like, I just, just so that they know that you're like thinking of them. Um, because that's like so important during this time, during a time when like, you're, you've literally like given up your whole body, like for some, for this baby and for somebody else, like to know that like someone's thinking of you is, is nice. Um, so yeah, it's hard. I think it's just like getting creative also, like finding, finding either virtual or like, you know, healthy, safe ways to celebrate is just really important during this time. And, and there have been some like really cute, creative things that people have done, um, you know, and just got been able to get creative, um, at least while we can still outside. Totally. I think, um, you know, I like how you say take advantage of what fun there is. Right. Um, I think, if you can focus on that, the happy and the positive, it it doesn't negate all the bad, um, but it makes it bearable, right? At least we can see kind of the the silver lining for sure. Um, I did hear uh, someone on Instagram that I follow who's going through IVF treatments talk about that. You know, one of the most important things right now is kind of exactly what you said, just making sure people know that you're there for them. Um, and she said that one of her friends had recently shared that she has a reminder in her phone every week to just check in with this friend um, and to just say like, hey, how are you doing? Let's chat. Let's check in. I love that. You know, completely 1000% transparent with me. If things are shitty, say things are shitty. If things are good, tell me they're good. If you're just sad, just say it. Um, so I love that so, so much. Okay. We've done all this talking about IVF and the pandemic and being pregnant. And I wanted to give you a chance to share your story of IVF um, and then also your pregnancy, because like you said, a little bit of it happened during the pandemic. And I think maybe hearing your story and how everything ended up and how everything unfolded, or it, it might be helpful for other parents in the crowd to hear that so that they know, you know, things can get really hard and there can be some complete curveballs thrown at you. But at the end of the day, um, for the most part, it'll probably all work out. Yes. So, yeah. So I started trying to get pregnant. Um, my husband and I, we were the first of our friends um, 
to get married. Um, you know, we were like 26, which um, in like New York City, by New York City standards was like super young. Um, but we had been together for a long time but that by that point. So we we got married, we knew we like, we, you know, always knew we wanted kids. Um, but we were both working a ton, like, I, you know, both of our careers were kind of taking off. So we, we waited a couple of years. Um, and also like just waiting for some of our friends to catch up, I think, too. Um, so we when we started trying to get pregnant, um, we I did not have any like other friends who already had kids or who were pregnant um, to look to as examples of what the process might be like. Um, and, you know, all I kind of had was like, movies and mainstream media or like sex ed and basically basically everything that tells you that getting pregnant is super easy you should be super cautious practice safe sex you don't want unwanted pregnancies and that's basically you, you know you could have sex and get pregnant and like wear a condom and or go on birth control and you know and I had been on birth control since I was like 15 years old so it, like I remember texting my friend like the day I took my last pill. And I was like, Oh, my God, like, I, like, I'm throwing my birth, I'm throwing out my birth control and like thinking that I was like, gonna get pregnant immediately. And spoiler alert, that's not what happened. Um, so I, you know, basically, so I didn't have any guidance, essentially, for for how it worked. I didn't know anything about ovulation. I didn't know about that I should be tracking things. I didn't know any of that. So and my OB wasn't much help. She basically was like, go have fun for like six months. And if you don't get pregnant, come back to me. So I like started doing that. Um, we did have one chemical pregnancy. Um, and at that point I was like, okay, I think I need to get serious about like actually like tracking things and doing more research. So started tracking my cycles, doing ovulation kits and stuff. Um, we, I still wasn't getting pregnant. Um, so eventually um, I, did uh, an HSG, which is basically like an x-ray of your uterus and, um, and an MRI, which later confirmed I had a septum in my uterus um, from like top to bottom, which is basically a thin layer of tissue that kind of like divided my uterus in half basically and um, could make having a ter healthy term pregnancy difficult. Um, so I was like, all right, at this point, I'm definitely going to see a fertility doctor, a reproductive endocrinologist. Um, I went in, um, he basically told me, told me about the septum. He was like, I'm going to remove it. You're going to have no trouble getting pregnant. Your blood work looks great. Your, you know, AMH, which like isn't indicative of your egg count, like everything looks great. Um, and Max looks great on paper. So like, you know, I'll take out your septum and you'll go on to have many children. So I'm like super optimistic at this point. We, I, I do, um, I do the procedure to have my septum removed and I still was not getting pregnant. Um, so we, then we moved on to like medicated cycles, still wasn't getting pregnant. Um, we moved on to IUI, which um, I did experience another uh, chemical pregnancy from one out of the three rounds of IUI. Um, then we were like, prepared to move on to IVF. I got a second opinion that kind of confirmed that that was a good idea because at that point we just, I was still relatively unexplained. Like my septum was out. Um, everything else looked great. And there wasn't, it wasn't clear why I wasn't getting pregnant except for maybe there was an egg quality issue or something like that, which we would only know if we were to do IVF. So we ultimately moved forward with IVF. Um, 
we did a retrieval, um, got a bunch of eggs. Um, it seemed like it was fertilizing a bunch of embryos. And then after several days, only there were only um, four that were sent out for genetic testing, which was really disappointing. Um, and I don't want to sound ungrateful. I know that there are many people who have less than that, but um, going from like 15 fertilized embryos to four was a pretty high attrition rate. Um, and then we only got two back that were genetically normal. So um, then we did, we did another round because I wanted, and I know we wanted to have more than one child. And I just, I felt like I needed more than two embryos to do that. So we did another round. Um, then we did a transfer, um, which resulted in my third chemical pregnancy. And that was just crushing because that was like what should have been considered the holy grail of like, it was a genetically tested embryo. Like it was IVF, it was transferred to me at this time, you know, right time I was on medication. And so when that didn't work out, like we took a step back and we were like, okay, like we need to really do run the gamut on other testing to see if there's anything that we're missing because I'm not just gonna like continue transferring embryos just to see if they work out. Um, so we did do some autoimmune testing um, which uncovered some interesting things about my blood flow and my circulation and, um, potentially like being predisposed to blood clotting and things like that. Um, so, and around that time we moved to, we did move to Boston. I miraculously like naturally got pregnant, um, the week that we had moved to Boston, which felt like a miracle, like maybe it was a change in energy and, um, and unfortunately I, I miscarried at, um, like around seven weeks, um, which that also was just really tough because I was like, it seems like that was like, oh my God, like, you know, the stars have aligned. Um, so it, I, it was, it was really tough, but, um, but we already kind of had the plans in place to have moved to move forward with another IVF transfer once we had moved. Um, so we moved, got settled, recovered from the miscarriage started with our new clinic here in Boston, um, transferred an embryo. And um, here we are with our, our son who is five months old tomorrow. Um, my pregnancy was relatively easy. I did have some bleeding in the beginning um, resulting from a hematoma, which was very scary, especially for somebody who's dealt with pregnancy loss, just to see a lot of bleeding. Um, but for the most part, um, yeah, excited, excited that it worked out finally. What a sweet story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Can you touch a little bit on um, pregnancy after loss and navigating that? What are your tips for people who have experienced loss and, and maybe have just found out they're pregnant or are you know, well into their pregnancy or still looking forward to the day that they are pregnant, but know that there's going to be this emotional piece to it as well. And, and they would like to prepare. What are your tips? Well, the number one, one thing that I tell anyone who like has experienced pregnancy loss, um, who gets pregnant is I think it's like, just accept, like accepting that, like you are going to have anxiety and like, that's okay. Like just acknowledge and accept that you're going to have anxiety, probably some degree of anxiety, probably throughout your entire pregnancy. Like that's just the way it is, or at least that was for me. Like we, especially, um, when we dealt with our, the hematoma earlier on and had a lot of bleeding, like we were so cautious until the day that our son was born. Um, like every, every time, you know, this might be TMI, but like every time I would go to the bathroom, 
I would always, until literally like the day he was born, even at well after the bleeding had stopped, like every time I would go to the bathroom, I would always look at my toilet paper after just to see if there was blood because like I was just conditioned to just expect that. And I was just like waiting for the other shoe to drop, I guess. Um, so just like acknowledging that like, there's going to be some anxiety, some anxiety throughout the entire pregnancy. And it definitely gets easier. It hundred percent gets easier. I would say, especially like once you start feeling kicks, for example, um, like just those like reassuring things that remind you that like the pregnancy is there, it's healthy. Um, another thing, so acknowledging the anxiety is number one. Um, another thing just in terms of managing that anxiety is, um, communicate, tell your OB, um, that that's, that you, I mean, your OB ideally would know about your pregnancy history before, but, um, but from an emotional standpoint, like if you're going to feel more comfortable going in for more, uh, for more frequent, you know, just heartbeat scans or ultrasounds or whatever it may be, like do it. You're, I mean, you're probably, they're going to bill your insurance for it and you might have to pay for it. But like, if that's going to give you peace of mind and that's good for everyone, you know, you, your baby, like your partner. Um, so like, especially earlier on, like we went in for, we went in for um, like quick, like heartbeat scans, you know, pretty frequently, like just to make sure that everything was still okay. Um, and, you know, we basically, we talked, we had talked to my OB about that beforehand and she was really comfortable with it. Um, I think, you know, the other, another thing I would mention is, and this was really great advice that is easier said than done, but a friend of mine told me this a long time ago was, you know, if something doesn't work out, you're not going to be like, less upset about it if you're like anxious and worried and upset about it now like just try to be present in the here and now and like be happy and excited that like today I am pregnant and because that's not going to make you any you're not gonna you're not going to be like like being blindsided or caught off guard or whatever is not going to make you like more or less upset if something doesn't work out um so it, you know, at least at the very least, you'll have been excited um, and happy for like a short period of time versus not at all. Um, so that's something that I try to follow. Harder. Yeah, super hard to follow that. Easier said than done. Absolutely. It's easier said um, than done. Totally. It's always hard to make those little mindset shifts, right? Which one that I love is, you know, once you do have that healthy, viable sustainable pregnancy, remind yourself that you are worthy of change and things can change for you, right? That you deserve this. I think a lot of times after loss, we get stuck in this place of, um, you know, well, things never work out for me, or um, I'm not worthy of this pregnancy, or kind of like you said, just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Remind yourself you, you're you worthy of a healthy pregnancy um, and things can absolutely change and you're worth mm -hmm. that. And every pregnancy can be different also. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even people from one, one baby to the next, like every pregnancy can be different. And, you know, it's, it's hard to think that it is hard to think that way when you've like demonstrated a pattern of loss. Like if you've had recurrent pregnancy loss, then that's really, it is really hard to think that way. But, um, but you know, it's, it's important to at least try to have a little bit of hope and just reminding yourself that like all it takes, you know, it does really truly only take one embryo to work out to achieve that baby. So, you know, just because, you know, six didn't work out before that, that doesn't necessarily mean that the seventh won't work. I love that. I love that so much. Thank you so much for being here 
with me today. This was such a uplifting conversation. And I feel like a lot of conversations around fertility are, um, you know, downers and they people walk away feeling maybe a little bit discouraged. Um, at, at least that's what I hear from our community of, of people who are going through fertility is that they are really attracted to our community because we try and keep everything lighthearted, even though it is a heavier and harder topic to, um, to talk about and to experience, right? Ariel, thank you so much. If people wanted to learn more about you or co-fertility, where can they connect with you? Where are all the places online that they can find you? So they can follow us on Instagram at co-fertility, C-O-fertility, um, or they can check us out on our site. That's cofertility.com. Um, and hopefully they can find something that helps them. Absolutely. I'm sure they will. You guys, their site is really, really easy to navigate and it's chock full of just really great things. It's one of my staples when people are looking for, um, you know, any sort of fertility resources, because like Ariel says, it does cover such a wide range of topics. It's a really great place to start. And then you have no reason to get away from it until you get pregnant and then you don't need it anymore. Oh my goodness, guys. All right. Thanks for so, thanks so much for being here with us today. You guys, we talked about how coronavirus is impacting fertility and treatments and the spikes and the trends that we've been seeing. And we covered a little bit about what you can do for your partner, what your partner can do for you and how you can help your community help you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. Happy Tuesday. We will see you again on Friday for another Friday free talk. Until then, guys, take care. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.